Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. Trying to mesh the Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, put them in a chronological order. It doesn't always fit perfectly well. I'm not reading every single verse of Scripture. If Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and sometimes John all all give the account of a certain event, I'll pick one of the Gospels and teach from that. We have found ourselves in a place where we are... um, counting down the work of Jesus in those last five or six months. We're actually entered into the winter season in Israel, and uh, technically winter over there is kind of like ours in the sense of beginning in November and going into spring months. So similar to that, except, you know, they don't normally don't get snow and it's desert and it's a lot different than our winters here, but it's still considered their winter there. And we find that John has time stamped uh, a few things for us in his gospel. He has in John 2, John 7, verse 2, we read this last week, he mentioned the Feast of Tabernacles, And then in John 21, he mentions the Feast of Dedication. So the Feast of Tabernacles, that is the fall feast. And there are several feasts, Day of Atonement, Tabernacles, a lot of things going on uh, in that time period. And then the Feast of Dedication, we know that. uh, Get your Jewish hats on here, but consider in... December normally, sometimes very late November, but Hanukkah, the celebration of lights, or Hanukkah, that is mentioned for us, the Feast of Dedication in John 10:21. So we have about a two to three month period singled out by John that the other gospel writers don't really speak much about this, or if at all. And so we're going to stay in the Gospel of John. We began it, our last point last week, picking up in John 7, um, 1, down through verse 13. And we're going to go all the way through 10, 20. And so we're going to be here for a little while as we rehearse these events that happen in the last several months, though, you know, from fall. He would be crucified in the spring. So we're about a five to six month time span here. But here specifically from John chapter two to John 21, we have from the fall to Christmas. So here in the United States, we might say, although I hate to use this, but it's most familiar to us from Halloween to Christmas. We know that time period. And we know that there is that harvest celebration going on around the time of Halloween, or we can go to November 1st and say All Saints Day. The church tried to correct the uh, celebration of evil 
by having All Saints Day follow it, but uh, I don't see too many All Saints Day products being sold in our stores around here, but somewhere around August, they'll start getting out those frightening masks and stuff, preparing for Halloween. But we have that short time period that we're looking at here in the life of Christ. So today we're going to pick up from John's Gospel, verse 14 through 36 of John chapter 7. And I gave the title of, Who is Jesus? They're asking about Jesus in this portion of Scripture. They're trying to figure out who this man is. And so we'll look at verses 14 through 20. They marveled over Jesus. Verses 21 through 24, the work of Jesus. 25 through 31, he who sent me is true. Jesus speaking those words. And then again, Jesus speaking. Verses 32 through 36, where I'm going, you cannot come. So let's go ahead. I'll grab the context, picking up in verse 14 down to verse 20 John chapter 7 it says not about the middle of the feast Jesus went up to the temple and taught and the Jews marveled saying how does this man know letters having never studied and Jesus answered them and said my doctrine is not mine but his who you sent if anyone wants to do his will he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? So we learned last week that Jesus' brothers at this point, they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. In fact, they had challenged Jesus in the opening verses of this chapter that if you want to be known, go down to Jerusalem. The feast days are coming up. Go to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, my time has not yet come. You guys go because your time is always here but I will not go up to the feast. So they departed, but Jesus did show up about in the middle of the feast. We looked at this last week. Uh, the Jews were required in the law of Moses. Every male shall appear before the Lord at the tabernacle or temple three times a year. So it was required by the law of Moses that Jesus would attend this feast. But I believe what he was saying to his brothers at this time, I'm not going to go up in fanfare like he would a week before his crucifixion. On the Palm Sunday there, he would go up with all Jerusalem being moved. And in fact, the Greek word talking about moved is that word that would describe an earthquake. So there was a shaking, a moving of the people. So that was coming about five or six months later. But now he just showed up and he began to teach in the temple. He was found teaching in the temple because Jesus, the light of the world, cannot be hidden. In fact, in John 18, 20, Jesus would say, I spoke openly to the world. 
I've always taught in synagogues and in temples where the Jews always meet in secret. I have said nothing. So Jesus, his ministry was public. And the people marveled at Jesus, marveled at his ability to teach God's word. And they knew something about Jesus, his earthly life. They said, he's never studied. He's not like the scribes. He's not like the Pharisees. He's not like the priests. He's not like the lawyers. All these men, they've studied. They have their master's degrees. They have their doctorates. But this man, where in the world did he learn God's word? So that was their question. They knew that he had no seminary degree, if we would put it into our time period. Yet he taught the word of God unlike any man had ever spoken the word before. In Matthew 13, 54 through 56, he said, when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is it not the mother of his mother, Mary, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, are not his sisters among us? Where did this man get all these things? So they had an issue. They thought they knew Jesus, but they only knew what they superficially had seen. They thought they knew Jesus, but they did not truly know that he was the living son of God walking among them. After Jesus' ascension, the religious rulers would have the same issue with the disciples, specifically in Acts 4, Acts 4, verse 13. They're talking about Peter and John, but we can group all the 12 disciples in this as well because the religious rulers had arrested them because of their teaching and a miraculous work that had taken place that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 3. They had arrested them and they knew, they marveled at them because the word tells us that they knew that they were uneducated and untrained men. They didn't go to school. They didn't have the proper documents. They didn't have, again, the seminary degree. They were lacking all these things. And then the word tells us, Acts 4.13, they had to acknowledge that they had been with Jesus. Let me tell you today that may we never forget that time spent with Jesus is time well spent. So Jesus responds back to them. He answers them, verses 16 through 18. My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. So right there, Jesus said, it's not my doctrine, it's the doctrine of the one who has sent me. And then he goes on to say, if you want to do the will of the one who has sent me, you'll know that my doctrine is from God. So he's saying that God has sent me. Verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks 
The glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So Jesus acknowledged that his doctrine, his teaching had come from the Father. And it should have been easy for the people to realize, especially the religious rulers who study the word of God, who read the word of God, to verify that the doctrine that Jesus was teaching had come from God himself. But they had been blinded by their own desires. In John 14, 10 and 11, Jesus would ask, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me and does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So Jesus was doing mighty works. We'll get down to the closing verses of what we're studying today, and they'll claim that, he did these works because of a demon that was in him, that they totally missed what their eyes were seeing. Jesus said, you should know it by the words that I'm teaching. You should know it by the works that I'm doing. But they were blinded to these things. Jesus brought glory to God the Father, always doing those things that pleased his Father. In fact, he said in John 8, 28 and 29, that I do nothing of myself. As my Father taught me, I speak these things. He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. I always do those things that please Him. And then He says, Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? So he's going to go on and, and really pinpoint this law issue, but they were lawbreakers. And so it was a big question of their day of what laws that were necessary of keeping that would cause someone to be in a good relationship with God. And often we think about the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. You shall make no images. Uh, you shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You should honor your father and mother. And we can go through the list of the Ten Commandments. But they were lawbreakers, especially the Fourth Commandment that Jesus will highlight for us in a moment. They often broke to keep the Sabbath holy unto the Lord. So the law that had been given through Moses, they did not walk in accordance to God's law. In Galatians 3, 23 through 25, Paul tells us that before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith that would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. So Paul explained it this way, that the law was there. It had its purpose. It was to help guard the people. It was to help keep the people until Christ came. But now that Christ has come, and we come to faith, not by the keeping of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, then 
It is by faith that we are saved. No longer are we kept under guard by the tutor or by the law itself. But the people's heart was far from the God's word. They were blinded concerning Jesus about who he was. They, in fact, responded to Jesus saying, you're seeking to kill me. And we read very early on that the religious rulers were seeking to kill him and they would succeed in less than five months from this time. But they were blinded. They accused him of being uh, demonically possessed. This reminded me of something that C.S. Lewis had written about Jesus in his book, Mere Christianity. And I'll just tell you that it is like one of the top books of uh, written in the 20th century and one of the top Christian books that is a must read. Personally, I've always struggled with C.S. Lewis because he is such a learned man. I don't quite get everything that he writes, and I've read these books more than once. But I think you'll get this part. I get it, so it should be easy enough for all of us. <laughs> and this has been repeated a number of different pastors, and they use parts of this, and now we know the source as I read it to you from Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talking about belief in Christ. I'm ready to accept. So this is a question or a statement that C.S. Lewis begins with. Somebody makes a statement. I'm ready to accept that Jesus is a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or something else. He would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to do so. And was it that Jesus was merely a great moral teacher or is he the living son of God? Who is Jesus? And that is a question that we all must answer while in this lifetime. And the answer that we give to that will impact eternity. And so the work of Jesus, we read about in verses 21 through 24. We pick up the context. It says, And Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you marveled. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteousness. And so there was a man in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. We learned about Jesus healing a man at the pool of Bethesda. And he healed this man on the Sabbath day. And since that time, the religious rulers sought to kill him for doing 
work on the Sabbath day. We looked at this several months ago, but just picture this. Our athlete, Pride, I'm going to pick on you today. He's doing some amazing thing on the football field. And uh, he makes a touchdown, but as he comes down and cross that goal line, something breaks in his body, and he happens to be playing football on a Sunday. If Pride was playing football on a Sunday in Jesus' timeline, the Jews would say, sorry about this, buddy, but your bro bone is like kind of broke through. We'll wrap it up. We'll stop the bleeding. But we can't set your bone until the Sabbath is over. So I know it's going to be painful, but just hold on. You only got 12 hours to go. We'll get that bone set as soon as we can. But it's the Sabbath. We can't set your bone. Otherwise, we'll be breaking the Sabbath law. Now, we would think, that's kind of crazy. In fact, if a bone is broken, it's poking through the skin, and there needs to be surgery performed, and we need to do it right away. But Jewish tradition, this isn't from the law of God, but Jewish tradition that came out of the law of God, when people asked, what does it mean to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? They made a, all these various laws about what it meant. If you go to Israel today, and we asked this question, we were in Israel and around every major city, there's telephone poles, but they're not uh, for electricity or for uh, telephones. They're just a single pole that is a, a circumference around the city with a wire going around the city. And so I'm curious by nature, we saw the poles around all these cities and we asked, what is the pole about? It's just a pole with a wire on it. It's not going to a building. That's the Sabbath day journey. So people know who live in the city that if they go past the wire, they've walked further than they're supposed to on the Sabbath day. So they could walk up to the pole and stop and they were safe. But if they stepped across, they were in danger of breaking the Sabbath. So a number of things like that. And this one specifically about healing. Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. <laughs> Tongue ties on that one. Pool of Bethesda. He healed a man who was struggling to get to the water Tradition said that an angel would agitate the water, first one in would get healed. And Jesus asked the man if he'd like to be healed. The man responded to Jesus, I have no one to help me. Jesus didn't ask the man if you need some help to get healed. He said, would you like to be healed? And the man went on to say, I have no one to help me when the water is agitated. By the time I make it to the water, someone always beats me to the water first. He was unable to walk. He was a lame man that was laid by that pool and uh, was waiting, but unable to be healed. And Jesus made him whole. So they were ready to put Jesus to death because of this event. 
And in Jesus, he even proclaimed, my father has been working until now, and I have been working, John 5, 17. And the Jews, John 5, 18, sought the more to kill him. So they already wanted him dead. Now he's healed on the Sabbath. Now they want to kill him even more so. Not only that he broke the Sabbath, but because he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Yet here, Jesus shows us a technicality in the law. There's two laws. One came from the fathers. One came from the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, law number four, you shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The law that came from the fathers was circumcision. Every male sh child shall be circumcised on the eighth day. What happens if the eighth day falls on a Sabbath? They would circumcise, more often than not, the baby boy. They didn't want to break the law of circumcision, but while they kept the law of circumcision, they broke the fourth commandment. So he showed them, you guys got an issue here. You're keeping one law while breaking the other law. So he points out a technicality in the law. I was recently uh, filling out this survey and really talking about taking risk and I knew what they were talking about in the survey about risk taking and what they were talking about is like yeah man Friday comes around I just take my paycheck I blow it all on the weekend and just party all weekend and then Monday just show up to work again that's what they were after but I in the survey put a moderate risk taking thing now, it's a lot less than it used to be, but so they asked the question, why did you say taking risk? Because I knew what they were after. But I said, for example, my son lives in Hawaii. We go out to Hawaii. I have jumped off waterfalls into the pool of the waterfall. I have not only jumped off the waterfall, but climbed up the edge, grabbed a rope and swung out on the rope and went down into the water of the pool of the waterfall. I did that once as I was swinging out on the rope. I thought, man, I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> and then I started swinging back. And I knew I had to let go because I did not want to get back to the tree. It would just be issues. You had to let go when you went out. But that is a risk. I have, you know, the way you get to the tree is to jump off the waterfall, to climb up the side to swing on the rope to get back into the pool. So it's like you jump in the water twice, uh, but do it two different ways. And they've, uh, it's risky because they rain so much there that sometimes boulders kind of roll into those pools and they have since restricted those areas. Another area there, um, when our son was getting married, two tourists were swept out two ladies actually swept out to the sea by a rogue wave that came in at Queen's Bath. They have closed since Queen's Bath. You don't go out there, but it took them about 12 years to close it down. And I've been at Queen's Bath several times. I, In fact, I regret the pa fact that we can't go there anymore. If you go there, you're not supposed to be there. But it's because it's dangerous. And these road, especially in the winter, these waves can come in and you'll be swept out. You'll have no hope. 
Lily and I were hiking through the Nepali coast. And uh, we hiked to a waterfall. Probably would never do this again. But even our daughter-in-law, we were just out there a month ago, and she says, I've never done that. And she's a little bit younger than us. But you want to get to the waterfall, on the first waterfall on the Nepali coast, you have to hike four hours to get there. And then, of course, once you're in there, there's no roads back here. It's all hiking. Once you're there, you have to get out. And so we've done it, four hours in, four hours out. And it, it's pretty humorous going in, because going in, you hike through the mountains down to the first beach. That's where the river of the waterfall comes out, and then you just follow the river two, two hours back to get to the waterfall except you're going back and forth across the river the whole time. Our first couple of jumps over the river, we were trying to keep our feet dry. We are trying to stay clean. By the time we got halfway through there, we could care less about staying clean. And we were actually laughing at people trying to stay clean as we were walking out and telling them, you might as well give it up. I mean, it was treacherous at times. So that, for me, is the taking the risk, um, the challenges that we might do in life. And in this life, we find that there are people that often will take these risks, take these challenges. There's um, Pastor Greg, or Pastor L. Gail Irwin, I'll get it out right. He's trying to mix up the first two letters of his name. He used to talk about the great risk that we all take at least three times a day when we take this metal object, a fork, and we, at breakneck speed, bring it toward our faces. And we're aiming for our mouse, of course, and we are, I, I've never missed. I've never like, oh my goodness, poke my cheek with a fork. We take these risks and we find that in this life that there are things we're willing to accept or we're willing to do and yet there are greater things of more importance beyond anything that I've just spoken about. To the Jews, it was almost always priority, got to circumcise the son on the eighth day. That's what God said. What if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath day? Well, they had to make a choice. So they had taken things and they had distorted them. When God, they had made it in such a way that they had hindered the people. They put a burden on the people that God never intended, a burden that God never wanted. In fact, in Mark 7, 9, he said, All too well you reject the commandments of God, that you may keep your traditions. The religious rulers were mad at Jesus for healing a man who had been sick for 38 years. He could not walk. Jesus touched him, made him whole, and they got mad about it and wanted to see Jesus dead. In Luke 6, 7, the scribes and Pharisees watched Jesus closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find anything to accuse him of. The Jews judged according to appearance, not according to righteousness. 
And in Matthew 23, 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrite, you pay tithe of mint, of anise, and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, weight, that of justice, mercy, and faith. You ought not to have left one undone by leaving the others. So you should have done the one and not left the other undone. They marveled at the work of Jesus. And in this life, the Lord has given us his word to guide us in this life, to enjoy the life that he has given us, not to do extreme things in the sense that would cause harm to others. We can take risk in the sense, I mean, you take those risks every day. But we're to be governed by the Word of God through faith in Jesus Christ today, that there is a new law that He has given us to walk in fellowship with Him. They marveled at the works of Jesus, but they did not understand that these works proved that He was the Son of God. So, 27 through 31, we pick up in verses 25 through 27. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he of whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing. Do not the rulers know indeed that this is truly, or do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. So they didn't have a real understanding of God's word. But we find that today, too. Um, several years ago, I was talking to one of the guys I worked with about the Bible, and we were getting into the first and only time I ever had a real heart-to-heart -heart with this guy. I was 18 years old. But I was talking to him about the word of God, and he was probably about 10 years my senior. And it was the only time that I'd ever had an opportunity to talk about Jesus with this man, that he was willing to talk and listen. The next day, I wanted to pick up the conversation. But I remember to this day what he said. He said, my wife has read the Bible, and she told me. And my thought from the get-go, and if I would have been bold enough today, I would say, well, you need to read the word for yourself and not let your wife tell you what the Bible says. You need to read it for yourself. I didn't have that boldness then. I do now. But here's the problem. They thought they understood the Word of God. They did not. Sometimes in this world, people think they understand the Word of God. I read something on social media, and it said the Bible. It's like, well, forget about what social media says. We know it's always true. Read it for yourself. We know where this man is from. They really didn't. And then they said, when Christ comes, will know, no one will know where he's from. Actually, there's prophecy saying where he would come from. It's there in the word. They did not understand. They thought they knew. In fact, in John 6, 42, they said, Jesus is the son of Joseph. He was not. He is the son of God. They didn't understand because they knew where he'd grown up. They knew Mary and Joseph. They knew his brothers. They knew his sisters. They thought they knew Jesus, but they truly didn't. People today think they know Jesus, and often they truly do not. 
28 and 29, it says Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. So he keeps going back to the same point. He who sent me, the Father, he is true. You guys don't know the Father. You think you know the Father, but you truly don't. In our churches today, we have a lot of people who think they know Jesus, but they really have never come to life-saving faith in Jesus Christ. They're in danger of this similar judgment that Jesus is speaking against them. God had given them many testimonies concerning Jesus, but because they didn't have a right relationship with the God that they thought they worshipped, they truly didn't understand who Jesus was. The Word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Lord has to do a work in your heart. Is He doing that work in your heart today? Verses 30 and 31, Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid hands on him, because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him, and said, When the Christ comes, he will do more signs than these which this man has done. So they believed something about Jesus. They didn't quite understand Jesus. So there were some there wanting to arrest Jesus. They didn't lay hands on him. I mentioned this last week, 10 times in the Gospel of John. John tells us about Jesus' hour or his time, that his hour had not yet come. We get to John chapter 12, he'll say his hour has come. And John, uh, Jesus will pray in John 17, my hour has come. So 10 times he talks about this hour of it coming or not coming. And so he goes on to say, and the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring, verses 32 through 34. These things concerning him, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the officers said, take him. And Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, then I shall go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, where I am, you cannot come. So they sent the officers to arrest him. And Jesus simply said, I'm going to go, but now is not the time. You're going to seek me. There's going to be a point where you're going to look for me. You will not find me because you cannot come where I'm going because you don't know the one who sent me. You don't know the Father, though you think you do. And so the Jews said to themselves, 35 through 36, where does he intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and to teach the Greeks? What is it that he says, you will seek me and cannot find me. Where I am, you cannot come. So at that time, they estimated that there was at least five to six million Jews living outside of Israel in the Roman Empire. They were living among the Greeks. This is what they're referring to. Is he going to go outside of the nation of Israel and teach the Greeks somewhere else where we can't follow? It was a mystery to them. All they could do is repeat what he said. They repeated in verse 36, You will seek me, not find me. 
where I am, you cannot come. The reason they couldn't understand the doctrine, the works of Jesus, because they had their hearts fixed upon the things of the world and not the things of God. In 1 John 2.15, it tells us, Do not love the world or the things of it. If anyone loves the world, the Father or the love of the Father is not in him. Today we live in a generation where many people have their hearts fixed upon the things of the world and not the things of God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 and 21, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. We get so caught up sometimes about the earthly things, we forget about the heavenly things. And is your heart set upon the things of the world or upon the things of God? They marveled over Jesus. They marveled over the works of Jesus. And yet Jesus said, He who sent me is true, but where I am going you cannot come, but thank, thanks be to God that he has made a way for us through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That where Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, one day we are able to go, but only if we accept and receive Jesus as our Savior. Jesus said, you marvel over this one work, but greater works I do because I go to my Father. And that greatest work that he accomplished was through his work upon the cross where he paid the price of our sin that we might be set free. So who is Jesus? Is he a great moral teacher or merely a great moral teacher? Is he a lunatic or is he the only begotten Son of God? That is a question we all must answer while in this life. What answer have you given? Who is Jesus? Thank you, Lord, for this day and the word that you've given us. And now, Lord, as we stand to worship in one last song, perhaps, Lord, you are working in our hearts today. Maybe something was said that we just need to respond to it. Pastor Kevin will be down front to pray with anyone for any prayer need that they may have. And the prayer benches down front are available for anyone who wants to come and merely kneel and pray. For those listening on the radio, for those watching through social media or through a website today, maybe they have questions, Lord. And I pray that they would email us. But more importantly, Lord, that we would all look to you in life-saving faith that we would be able to answer the question, who is Jesus? That he is the living son of God who has saved us through his work upon the cross. And we now look forward to your coming again. Until that day, Lord, we desire to live for you on this earth, being filled with your spirit, that we might point others to the salvation that we ourselves have found through faith in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.